Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Good to be with you again. My name's Mike Rankin, James Fox, also along with us. Special guest today is Senior Editor at Baseball America, Josh Norris. You can follow Josh on Twitter, at jnorris427. Josh, good to have you back. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Baseball America sent out their top 30 lists per team recently, and boy, am I going to explore your thoughts on the White Sox side of things. We are also at Future Sox. We just completed putting out our top 10 individual players and top five per specific rankings and positions at the site. And we're also looking forward to our personal White Sox top 30 prospect list. So this is going to be awesome. It's going to be useful for us to kind of take your information and apply it to what we're about to put out here at Future Sox. But Josh, as always, it's great to talk to you. Let me let me start off with this. Baseball is planning to start on time, at least for now, in February. Mm -hmm. And aside from a couple of the lower level minor leagues that we expect to be delayed, it seems like all systems go according to plan. How does that affect Baseball America as we just finished 2020 and the abnormality that was? I mean, for us, it's really, I guess, a waiting game, you know, as far as getting out to see stuff again. Uh, I mean, to say nothing of college, which starts here. Well, first of all, JUCOs have already started, but, you know, big uh, D1 college gets underway in a couple weeks, depending on when this comes out. Uh, I think it's the 19th. But, you know, we are all, by and large, waiting to get vaccinated, to go out to anything. It's like, I'm not going anywhere and looking at anybody until I get a shot or two in my arm. And that's the case for a lot of my colleagues too. Uh, as far as just the, the, the way we're going to operate, I mean, I don't see how it could be any more difficult than we did this year when we had, you know, a major league season, albeit a, a stilted kind of stunted one, uh, very little college, no minor leagues, uh, no scouting at certain instructs camps. Some teams didn't hold instructs. Uh, Dominican instructs as well were kind of hit or miss. But we managed to put out a handbook this year and actually add uh, 10 names, maybe in a couple cases a little more, per team to the list. So we'll figure it out. We, we always do. Um, if, there's, if there's one thing that uh, we're confident about is that we'll be able to continue to do our jobs. Yeah, that's outstanding. And we mentioned that we use Baseball America as a source for our evaluations as well. And I mean, that applies to what the main focus of this podcast is going to be. And uh, we totally appreciate, obviously, the lengths that Baseball America goes through to get up close and personal and provide top of the line prospect evaluations and obviously college scouting, high school scouting as well. So, Josh, let's start with the White Sox top 30 list Baseball America provided and let's get going with Andrew Vaughn, because I think this is going to be the main focus of conversation on top of the rest as it pertains to these prospects we're keeping an eye on. Andrew Vaughn, in your perspective, is this a player that can step up and contribute successfully to the major leagues this season on account of, well, the White Sox aren't as aggressive as maybe some fans were expecting them to be in free agency in acquiring a bat that leads us to believe Andrew Vaughn is going to be a part of this thing sooner rather than later. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it immediately, but it wouldn't be surprising if he got there. You know, he did. It's really hard to kind of evaluate this year as far as what the alt-site experience meant. On the one hand, he had guys like Vaughn who, you know, didn't have much, he didn't have anything above high A 
So he got to face a, got a bunch of, you know, major league, AAA, 4A type of pitchers at the alt site. But the environment is a little weird. You know, you have a lot of cases, you have coaches playing defense. Uh, it's not, it's certainly not the same adrenaline level as you would get in a regular game. And you are only facing your teammates. And after so many times through the uh, roster, I guess, you are facing the same guys over and over again. And in some cases, you're, you might not have guys pitching as aggressively as an, op- an opponent might. Uh, you know, I heard one team talk about, you know, this this player has a hole here, but our pitchers didn't hit him here or pitch him here because if they went too far inside, they'd hit the future of the franchise or something like that. You know, it's it's going to vary from team to team about how they value uh, the alt site and you know whether they, they jump a guy a level or they bring him back to whatever level he was to begin with. So all that's to say, if he jumps out of the gate pretty well in 2021, whenever that may be for him, I mean, it also depends on how the minor league season starts because I don't expect any level of the minor leagues to begin uh, at affiliates before late May. Um, he'll have a chance to get up there. I don't think it's going to be a guy that will maybe jump onto your rookie of the year uh, watches just because of you won't have that much time. I think 2022, uh, as it may be, based on the labor uh, relations things that are going on, maybe more of the year where he makes the biggest impact. Yeah, you had to bring up the labor relations, boy. Oh, oh I, I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, so this season, we're expecting Andrew Vaughn at least to contribute then to the White Sox and somebody else that we can maybe potentially con- ask to, to, to see his contributions at a larger capacity is Michael Kopech. I think Kopech is seriously a part of the White Sox plans. Are there serious concerns about Kopech's ability after all of this time off to come up to the big leagues and be the type of guy that scouts expect him to be? I think the bigger question is not of stuff, because we saw the good stuff in the big leagues in 2018, which seems like it's 40 years ago by now. Um, But, you know, he missed 2019. 2020 didn't happen. Um, Now it's a matter of innings workload. You're going to have all these questions across baseball with how do you get guys who had so few innings to uh, reacclimate themselves to a traditional starter's workload? even you know, as starters workloads have kind of uh, dissipated over the last um, so many years. But it's it's going to be a tough uh, sell to work him back into a guy, you know, seven, six, seven innings per start after going, you know, officially zero innings for the last two years. And, you know, it uh, looks like 140 innings in 2019, uh, 2018. It's going to be a, they're going to run into the same thing with Garrett Crochet. Uh, just because he pitched so few innings in college and uh, in the big leagues last year, that it's going to be hard for him to you know, you know jump into any sort of lengthy type of role next year. And like I said, it's not going to just be the White Sox. It's going to be a lot of teams that are struggling with that math and how they make it work. Josh, one of the you know the more polarizing prospects in the White Sox system is Nick Madrigal. He did debut last year. Was there anything about his debut that kind of surprised you like in a you know positively or in a negative way uh not really um he he i mean he hit hit for a little you know hitting 340 as a day in the debut is pretty darn good but that is what everyone expected him to be like a guy who could hit for a pretty high average almost no power and get in you know cause a little bit of havoc on the bases here and there 
Uh, that's what I expect him to be, a top of the bottom, top or bottom of the order skill set. Now, how he comes back from his injury will um, be a nice variable to watch. It really won't affect his power output since it was almost you know non-existent to begin with. But this is a guy who is played as close to the scouting report as possible, I thought. Sticking with Madrigal real quick, the thing... Some Sox fans that you know I talk to are really concerned about at least what they saw from last year is his base running and the aggressiveness and the mistakes that he made on reads. Do you think he overvalues his aggressiveness on the base pads in terms of well he thinks he can get from point A to point C sometimes, um, or do you think that's just a young player trying to be aggressive and learning his way in the majors? The latter. It's it's a it's a rookie learning his way in the major leagues. That's what big league coaches are for. That's what player development's for. I mean, we forget he is just about to turn 24 years old. He's a young, young man. He'll have plenty of time to iron out the uh, the nits and, and warts in his game right now. I wouldn't worry about that at all. His speed is going to be an asset on the base paths. It's just a matter of, you know, maybe fine-tuning it a little bit. Now, you mentioned Garrett Crochet. Love the Garrett Crochet conversation because when he was drafted at 11 last season, the expectations really assume that Garrett Crochet is a starting pitcher. This is a guy who can, with his stuff, translate to the big leagues as a starter. And the White Sox continue to say that they believe that. However, saw him out of the bullpen last year, made a lot of sense considering the need, as well as now you take it into this season. Sox are trying to compete. Do you see that him as a multi-inning reliever potentially this year may affect the idea that he can translate into a starting pitcher long-term? It's going to take, it's going to be a longer road. That's for sure. I mean, just the fact that he didn't even get that many innings in college, even compared to other collegians. Like he had, I think it was like two innings this year in college. And he had, uh, looks like six innings in the big leagues, plus whatever he did in the postseason and however you want to count whatever he did at the alt site. It's just not a lot of innings. So you're not going to, you know, shove him up to the the an actual starter's role immediately. I I almost think you want to get creative with him and do something like the Blue Jays did with Nate Pearson a few years ago when he didn't have a whole lot of innings because of some unfortunate injuries. In the minors, they would alternate him between starts of two and five innings, I think it was, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, as a way to build him up without burning him out. It might not be those exact numbers, but that's a way I could see the White Sox getting creative with him. Or you could just, I mean, you could just let him let it eat in the bullpen for the entire season, and that'll get you a pretty significant jump in innings regardless. And maybe that's just a nice bridge to starting in 2022. It's going to be tough, and I'm glad I don't have to make that call myself. So as we continue to look at the White Sox, starting pitching prospects one of them that really caught our attention when he was drafted and this kind of goes against the White Sox norm and I guess I shouldn't say that because in the immediate sense we've seen them go after high school prospects like Andrew Dahlquist and and Matthew Thompson but then Jared Kelly burst on the scene and his frame at 6'3", 215, pitching at the alt site in Schaumburg and this is a player that when we wrote about the top 10 starting pitching prospects mentioned that this is somebody who benefited from the lack of a minor league season because he was able to work with major league co- coaches up close and personal face major league hitting in a monitored setting. 
one, did that benefit his development in any way more so than it would have if he participated in a full professional season straight out of high school, or I guess a half a professional season? And then as well, how do you project him as a top 100 prospect in the future, maybe moving forward? Um, he was, well, I'll answer the second part first. He was near-ish to our top 100. Um, I don't remember exactly where he fell. Uh, it was just a matter of, you know, who got the most points. We kind of do a uh, a system where every every member who's going to contribute, I think it was five or six of us this year, contribute a top 150. And if you're, you know, you're, you're ranked number one in someone's list, that gives you 150 points. Two is 149, et cetera, et cetera. And he got some votes, but not, it wasn't unanimous, I don't think, from all six of us. So I don't remember where he landed, but it wasn't, it wasn't, terribly far off so he could make it this year uh if he makes an impact on the season or if he has a, a the minor league season we assume he can have once it begins uh as to what it might have looked like well you talked about Dahlquist and Thompson last year and those guys were drafted out of high school and they just they, they the White Sox were very cautious with them they threw two innings in 2019 for Thompson and it looks like three innings for Dahlquist so that might have been kind of what you were looking at if they would bring him to depending on what his high school workload it looked like you would have taken him to arizona and maybe let him get around the coaches for a while and then kind of let him dip his toe into the azl and then whatever you want to give him at instructs so it wouldn't have been like a i don't think it would have been a full season you would have seen just based on their history recently um but this certainly would have been beneficial yeah I mean, it cannot hurt to get around big league coaches and big league hitters who will tell you exactly how good your stuff is yeah, real quick without saying a word. You know, if, if you think your changeup is, is really good and uh, advanced guys are swatting it, well, maybe it's not as good as you thought, or your command isn't as good as you thought, or, you know, you're not using it uh, in proper sequences. So I don't think the alts, let me rephrase that. The lack of a minor league season hurt for sure. But the alt-site experience, I don't think, in and of itself, hurt anybody and could certainly be beneficial to prospects down the line, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, you mentioned Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist, and those are two names that, you know, our readers just like, like hearing about just because the White Sox haven't typically taken that many preps and prep pitchers specifically. I kind of, you know, we've kind of heard that both of them and Kelly probably go to low-A Kannapolis to start, you you had some notes at Baseball America. What can you tell us about just, you know, what scouts saw in Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson in Instructs? Dahlquist looks like he got stronger uh, from last year to this year, and it showed in the the, the, the bumped up uh, just pitch quality across the board, um, which is what they were exactly what they were looking to see at the end of the season. So, you know, now his stuff looks a little crisper and a little better, and that gamble is starting to pay very small dividends, even in as much as you can in a season where, you know, it's really just a controlled atmosphere. Uh, Thompson, too, I, I thought it was interesting that they labeled him, I think, the best athlete in the system. Um, and that's, that, I don't know if it's an undervalued trait, but it's an under-talked-about trait in pitchers is just the athleticism. A lot of really, really, really good pitchers out there are really, really, really athletic as well. Um, this is a guy who showed up really well at instructs too. And, you know, you got a potential for two plus pitches and maybe an average changeup to go there. I mean, you're right. I think I've heard the same as you, that if everything goes well, all three of those guys, Kelly Thompson and Dahlquist could be at low class, a Canapolis where they're going to have 
that brand new stadium that's been sitting and waiting for a year. And, you know, in, as far as your, your prospect hounds in North Carolina uh, are concerned, that'd be a place to watch three out of five days a week and to say nothing of anybody else who they might have there as well. Sticking there real quick, because the Dahlquist-Thompson dynamic is so interesting to me because, you know, when they took Matthew Thompson, the thing that stood out to us, and like you mentioned, the athleticism, but also the frame and the stuff was hard and it broke hard as well, the fastball-slider combo. But then when you look at Andrew Dahlquist, and I think that's part of the reason why Matthew Thompson gets this love is because of the elite stuff potential. When it comes to Andrew Dahlquist, when I look at his makeup, and it's really encouraging to hear that Dahlquist got stronger, which added an uptick to his velocity and the break in his stuff, but it seems like he is that controlled pitcher. His delivery is under control. He's got a consistent release point that we can expect to see some deception because he's got multiple pitches. It seems like he's got four pitches that he throws well and he can command well. Am I on the right track here in saying that Andrew Dahlquist at least has the the ability to start to translate sooner rather than later based on his repertoire? I think you might be underselling his repertoire a little bit, and I would have been guilty of that too uh, last year. But again, he went and he got stronger, and getting stronger makes your stuff, or can make your stuff better. As I wrote here, like he he made his curveball better. It went from a slurve to a curve, and his uh, curve and slider separated into two distinct pitches. That's a big step right there. You, I mean, you talk in, in doing my three systems, you know, you've had a lot of guys talk about separating a slurve into a slider and a curve or picking one or the other. Well, now he has two options and it's going to allow him going forward to attack righties and lefties with more closer to equal uh, a plum. This is a guy who I, I get he doesn't get quite the love uh, of Thompson, but He's really exciting too. Like I, I, I don't think it's the separation is that great between him and Thompson. As a matter of fact, we graded him exactly the same, which is, you know, uh, an average uh, big league starting pitcher, uh, although be, albeit with extreme risk of actually reaching that ceiling, just because he's a high school pitcher. <laughs> yeah. So switching gears here to one of the many guys that looked like, you know, just a corner type player in this system is Gavin Sheets. You know, he wasn't over at the alternate site, but it seems like he used his time wisely, like away from the team. I talked to him last year. He said he got more athletic. He made some swing changes and he's playing a little bit of outfield. How much could him being functional in an outfield corner like really help like his path to the big leagues and then even like help him, you know, in regards to the White Sox, like possibly like trading him for, you know, help at some point down the road. It's immeasurable how, how much him getting in better shape and becoming more athletic. There's that word again, uh, has opened doors for him because, you know, there's that, uh, there's a guy named Andrew Vaughn in front of him at first base going forth. And that's, uh, that's really, if he is what we think he's going to be, that's a, that's a roadblock right there. But him being able to play the outfield really does help going forth and beyond simply the athleticism scouts said he just looked better uh, and that those swing changes that I talked to him about and you talked to him about uh, so long ago in the Arizona fall league uh, in 2019 um, we're, we're still there. He's got big time power. He might not, he's a, a, a fringe average hitter. This is a guy who he definitely kind of jumped. I did not expect to rank him 10th when I started uh, doing this top 30 and frankly didn't have him ranked 10th until Dane Dunning got traded. But uh, when you talk about once, once Dunning did get traded, you, know, you talk, Hey, who should move into my 10 spot? Some scouts I trust said, you know, 
Sheets looked really, really good at the instructional league. You might want to consider jumping him uh, up into that upper echelon rather than keeping him in kind of the middle tier. So, you know, he's one guy I'm really excited to see next year. And if, well, if he goes to AAA, well, uh, with depending on what they do with the baseballs and that particular ballpark, you could see a lot of power. Oh, yeah. When I, when I talked to him last year, that's what he said. He was really looking forward to going to that ballpark in Charlotte, and he obviously didn't get that opportunity. So, yeah, this could be a big <laughs> year for, for him. It was funny. I'll do, just a quick aside, like just that ballpark. I remember a couple years ago going there to see a couple games between Buffalo and Charlotte, and it was Vlad Jr. and Eloy. I think there was one game where there were eight home runs hit, and neither of the two big boys did it. It's like, what is this? There's Of all the guys I want to see Homer, you know, it's everybody but Eloy and Vladdy. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, you had a lot of recent prep draft picks on your list, like DJ Gladney, Bryce Bush, Beard, Cabrera Weaver, Chase Krogman. I don't expect you to talk about all of them, you know, but do you, do you have a, like a favorite or two out of some of those guys that you might have, you know, seen or heard from scouts just, just from instructs and since your last list last year? Well, I'll mention the guy that you didn't mention, um, Jake Berger. Um, there's another guy who's obviously been away for a long time. The, uh, the missing 2020 season really was just kind of a, oh, there's, there's actually, he got on the field more than he had in previous years because he played in that, you know, car shield league or whatever. But scouts who saw him at instructs said, this guy can still hit. Probably not a third baseman going forth, but he can still hit and he can still hit for power. And the White Sox rewarded him with, uh, protection on the 40 man, uh, despite not having played for a long while. Um, I'm still a bit of a, a Bryce Bush believer. There's a ways to go with him, but you know, coming up after 2019, scouts I trust uh, said, you know, he's raw. It's going to take a while, but there's something there, and it, it's a kind of a boomer bust type prospect. But you might want to bet on the boom coming a few years down the line. Obviously, this year would have been huge for him, as it would have been for so many others, but. There's a, a kind of a, a phylum of guy that was supposed to see, it was kind of a, maybe a make or break type of year uh, for them based on kind of hints of potential in the previous season and to see if they could uh, you know, translate that into the, into the 2020 season, but they just didn't get to this year. It's really disappointing that guys like Bush just didn't get to. Uh, who else we got down here at the later and latter end of this list? Uh, Caleb Freeman, not, not a prep guy, but you know, he showed pretty well at the alt site, um, at the alt site, the, uh, at, at the instructional league. And again, scouts who saw him said, you know, this is probably going to be a guy who can be a fast mover into a bullpen. Uh, maybe he jumps up like, um, like a Matt Foster or a Cody Hoyer last year. Maybe not quite that quick because he finished in the, uh, the pioneer, he finished in the Sally league. So he's got couple levels to go, but he could be a fast-moving reliever as well. Love the stuff on Jake Berger. Absolutely love it. I think we're on, in agreement at Future Sox, too, that like you were saying, because at, at the start of the year in 2020, Berger said it himself. He's ready to go, and he's he was ticketed for a full-season affiliate this year, which means he was healthy enough to play a full season, which is outstanding from based on you know all the tribulations that he had to overcome. So, you know, that's great to hear that you're also on board with Jake Berger, but you mentioned a lot of good stuff on Bryce Bush, and Bryce Bush is a player, late-round draft pick, who at 19 years old played in 65 games 
at an affiliate at a full season affiliate single a Canapolis, as a matter of fact at 19 years old i mean that just tells you the the belief that the white Sox have in a player like bryce bush for me personally when i saw bryce bush in person the compact and powerful swing that he generates i mean that just is a tell right there that there's a little something something going on with bryce bush as well yeah you're, you're absolutely right it's it's the power potential and you know they were going to see how well he took to uh, more reps in right field this year, but you know, now he has to get better at unleashing that power or getting to that power more often. Scouts who saw him at Instructs said, you know, one of his big things was he stepped in the bucket big time, and he needs. And the, internally, they said too, they need, he needs to improve his direction to the ball. Um, that's going to be key. If he can do that, then you might, you know, take some strides toward showing that big time power. And kind of stepping back a second, part of the reason you, you he jumps out at you is because the the bonus he got was particularly large for the the round he got. He got 290000 in the 33rd round, and that jumps out at you. That tells you, okay, they believe in this guy. This is, this is someone they're willing to spend that money on that late. So there's probably some tools here that are, you know, they're, that they're betting on long term. Yeah, you know, I'm a Bryce Bush guy too. You know, the one thing that just worries me is that, and you might be able to elaborate this on like further just for like every team. Chris Getz kind of alluded to the fact that like reps were going to be more important than like location as far as like where some of these guys go. And looking at the White Sox system, it seems like Bryce Bush might have to go to Winston, you know, just because of, there's so many young outfielders that might be a Canapolis. And I just don't know. I mean, if that's like the right thing for him to be in high A already, but I guess, you know, it's probably just time where they have to make tough, tough decisions like that. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys who are going to be forced to sink or swim this year uh, because of the elimination of so many leagues um, and, and teams across the country. It's going to be unfortunate, but they were going to get to that level at some point. And it's not like the, the, he did have instructs and it's not like uh, these guys did nothing over the break. They were working out. They were, you know, doing whatever they could based on their locations, restrictions on COVID. So it's time. I mean, I, I it stinks. The scenario really does suck, but he's going to have to, if he, if he gets that assignment, well, more power to him. If he can, if he can, you know, produce at that level, well, it'll be a really good sign about his future going forth. So it's unfortunate that he's in that boat, but there's going to be a lot of players across baseball who are in that boat. And I think everybody's going to be happy just playing baseball at affiliates again, frankly. Uh, That's going to be a very, very small nit to pick there. So talking about players sinking or swimming at uh, their respective levels, it it brings me to the question of Cade McClure, because I noticed that he is listed in the top 30, which we're really excited about as well uh, at 18. And I'm going to bring in Bailey Horn too, because he was listed at 23 on the Baseball America Top 30 list, so you could check out at baseballamerica.com. So let's starting with Cade McClure. This is a player who dealt with a severe knee injury that set him back in his development, but overcame that. And he's a six-seven frame who doesn't necessarily throw with high velocity, but he has pitchability. So just your evaluation of Cade McClure at this stage of his professional career, because like we said, sink or swim, this is a player who needs to kind of develop quickly to uh, sell the White Sox in his ability to, you know, obviously move up and potentially pitch in the majors. Well, this is a guy who I wouldn't have been surprised to see him take in the rule five. Let's put it that way. 
um, he got better over this break. Like I wrote in my report, he worked with their their biomechanist, uh, bio Ben Hansen, to kind of get more out of his delivery. And he started touching 95 miles an hour. Uh, scouts who saw them saw him at Instructs said, hey, you know, you didn't have him ranked on your 30 last year. You're an idiot. Like, All right, I'll take that. Uh, but he got better. And that's why he is where he is. And yeah, he's, like I said, he's going to be 25. Uh, he's going to be 25 in a couple of days. And he will be have to move quickly. He's going, I would, would not be shocked if they started him in AAA. Because again, he's 25 years old. So he's, again, got to sink or swim. But if, if that stuff stays, then you might, you might have something. Uh, you mentioned Bailey Horn here. Uh, another guy like the, the uh, Kelly and Crochet get the bulk of the ink in the 2020 draft class. And for good reason. Those were you know, two of our top, I want to say, 15 draft talents this year, and the White Sox managed to land both of them, hence my Chicago Fire uh, nickname for that class. But Bailey Horn isn't anything to sneeze at either. Um, he's a guy who could move really quickly um, just because of his college pedigree and his stuff. Um, so he'll, and he's a guy who could go to the bullpen, although the White Sox said they're going to still keep him as a starter. So He's another guy who has that kind of stuff. And if you started him at Winston, it wouldn't be surprising. And if he got, if he got to, well, again, I'm going to say by season's end, I don't know when the season's going to start. I don't know when it's going to end. So that kind of changes how quickly a guy can move. Um, but he can move pretty quickly based on his stuff and having pitched in the SEC. Really good stuff, Josh. And we have a few more for you before we let you go. And as we look forward to, and I really like the evaluation of mentioning Bailey Horn because, yeah, I mean, he was sort of the forgotten or overlooked. I shouldn't say forgotten, but the overlooked draft pick because he did get, you know, the appropriate slot value, the, the bonus in that draft in the fifth round, a very bizarre Major League Baseball draft in 2020. So it's nothing to scoff at, too, when it comes to Bailey Horn. All right, let's switch over to the international guys quickly here, Josh. And we had Ben Badler speak to us on the Future Sox podcast not too long ago, and he detailed Uelke Cespedes in his potential with the White Sox in advance international prospect at this stage of his career. But when you look at Uelke Cespedes and the value that he brings to a club, what stands out to you specifically and how can he help the White Sox? I mean, I'll, I'll cop out. I mean, this is a this is a wild card. This is an absolute wild card. Ben and I are kind of in lockstep on saying, you know, we just don't know what he's going to do just yet. It's been a long layoff for everybody. Uh, he's got tools, but it's not like he's, you know, he was the best player in the international class or anything. He would, if we graded him, probably get a 50X, which is kind of the standard grade you put on a new international signee, unless it's a real uh, outlier or a high school, like we mentioned with uh, Dahlquist and Thompson, a, uh, a high school pitching prospect. So, there's a ceiling of a regular there, uh, but it's going to take some work to get there. And he's going to have to kick off a lot of rust from just simply no, not having the reps in the last few years. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of some of the international guys, there were mixed reports from Instructs on Jose Rodriguez, Brian Ramos, Ben Bailey, you know, the names that everybody kind of knows, like, you know, the White Sox fans. And Chris Getz indicated that those guys would be headed to a full season affiliate. What, what do you think about you know, those type of guys starting the year in Kannapolis? And then what maybe were some other things said about those guys, like at Instructs when you talk to scouts? I mean, I'll be honest, like uh, there was not a lot of love outside the organization for Ben Bailey. 
there was uh, not a whole lot of love for Jose Rodriguez uh, outside of the organization. Brian Ramos got better reviews. There were some guys who were really high on him and thought uh, he had the talent to be in the top 10. I'm really excited about him too, because he's going to be, he'll be 19 when the season starts, if I can do math. And he's got power. He's got the possibility to play third base. He's got the, the possibility to hit as well. I mean, he was a candidate for, I believe, if I remember if I processed correctly, uh, to be in the top 10, quite frankly. So I, I would be really excited to see what he does in low class Canapolis. I mean, he kind of has to go there. Like, again, we don't have non-AZL or DSL uh, half-season affiliates anymore. So that's the next step. And I think that would have been the next step regardless since he got you know, 188 at-bats in 2019 at uh, the AZL. So in 2020, he should have been at Kannapolis anyway. But if I'm going there to look at players, I'm going to look at those three arms that we talked about. But also, I'm going to have my eye on Brian Ramos a lot. So I hope that, that kind of answers your, your questions on those guys. But it's such a tough evaluation this year. Like, yeah, you can say that such and such guy struggled at instructs this year, but you have to remember, you know, scouts are getting limited looks at these guys. The rust is going to be there from the layoff and you're going in the case of the the white Sox, I think they only played like two or three different teams in instructs and scouts are only down there for so long, depending on who you talk to. Like I remember talking to one guy about a guy who has nothing to do with the white Sox. Well, I, didn't really like him, but I only saw like six at bats because I had so many teams to cover. So the scouting this year, the evaluations are not going to be as say rock solid as they were in the past, especially if they're coming from outside the org. But uh, you know, those guys have ceiling and they have potential, but they didn't get to show it at instructs in the way that other people might like. Yeah, a lot of unknown, a lot of unknown. And we we kind of knew that coming in, but also for you to confirm, because the scouting schedule, you know, they can't be everywhere at once and they can't spend all their attention in one place. So no, totally I, understand I, that part, yeah. I know one guy who had six teams to cover. It's like, how do you even, you know, uh, form a cement opinion on a guy in, in that amount of time? If it's like a six weeks instruct, depending on which team you're talking about, and you have to get however many guys on every roster well, holy cow, man. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> it's tough. I, I don't I don't envy some of those guys having to, you know, put their necks on the line in a scouting report, a guy they've seen so little of coming off such a wild card layoff. Yeah. So, Josh, we have a couple more for you. I know I said that already, but I, something just jumped into my head, and I want to take you back to Bailey, Benjamin Bailey, real quick, because Sox fans are in love with this Panamanian kid who has – just the first thing that comes out is the, the raw size, you know, the the physical tools that he has and shows decent arm. And it looks like he can generate uh, some power in his bat, long, lengthy type player. Why should Sox fans maybe take a step back in their expectations? And you already mentioned it. You know, we're seeing the results of minor league baseball being you know, shrunk down to where it is, a lot of these leagues being eliminated, forcing teams to put players in positions that may be uncomfortable that we haven't necessarily seen in the past, at least over the last 10 seasons. So in Bailey's case, what are some of the things in his game that he needs to show fans and the White Sox that he's, he's a legit prospect we should be taking seriously? Uh, I mean, unsurprisingly, pitch recognition. And the kid is going to be 20. Yeah, he's, I'm sorry, he'll be 19. Uh, for most of the season. 
he doesn't have all that much experience. I mean, he was in the DSL last year. His next stateside official at bat will be his first. It's going to be pitch recognition and just a lot of other, you know, just the finer points of the game. Like he's got tools. Now those tools have to translate into skills. And they did in the DSL. Uh, they looked iffy um, in the the instructional league. But we talked about sink or swim. This guy probably goes to the AZL uh, to start 2021. Again, depending on when it starts. So that might be an appropriate level for him. And it wouldn't be like he's a 23-year-old in the AZL because of you know lost season or what have you. He'd still be 19. That's pretty appropriate for uh, a guy of of that age and experience level to be in the AZL. Um, so he's got tools and he's got, you know, upside, but there's a long way to go to reach it. I like him too. And we liked him last year. I, I remember Badler was pretty excited about him after seeing the Dominican instructs last year. And he helped, you know, guide me put, to put him on the 30 last year. So I'm excited to see him whenever I do get to see him. Benjamin Bailey ranked number 24 on Baseball America's top 30 list for the Chicago White Sox. This is a rather interesting one, and I'm curious your take, because the top four in the system, Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kolpeck, Nick Madrigal, Garrett Crochet, according to Baseball America, say the White Sox want to be aggressive at the deadline or maybe even next offseason. And I guess going forward to next offseason is projecting a little too far ahead, but if the White Sox did want to make a major trade for somebody that, you know, maybe a top five pitcher in the game, do the White Sox have enough outside of the top four in their top 30 to maybe maneuver around and acquire a top player, a pitcher, position player, what have you? How would you rank the White Sox system outside of the top four? Well, the realistic answer is uh, depends on that pitcher's contract and how much the White Sox are willing to eat. If you really wanted to rank the top 100 prospects in baseball, number one is cash, and number two is Wander Franco. Because it, as we've seen, it doesn't always take as much as you'd think to land the big fish if you're willing to eat salary. So the more you're willing to eat, the less you're going to have to pay. And if that's the case, then yeah, you absolutely do. And you, uh, even if you don't eat a whole ton of it, I think you guys have enough in here to do something i wouldn't say this is the deepest system in the world um it and it has been that way for a, a while and they will they will be honest with you about that this is not uh, a system where you're you're looking at a lot of slam dunk prospects up and down the list but that it really comes back to money quite frankly if they're willing to pay such and such guy's salary then they could probably get it done with one or two two of those big names that we talked about who could be at Kannapolis and maybe a higher upside guy from the lower from the minors and maybe a, a now type of reliever. There's going to be a lot of creativity in these moves. And I think you guys would agree that sometimes when you see the, the packages used to acquire or uh, used to acquire certain guys, it's a little underwhelming in terms of the prospect, Paul. There's been like, I think one or two top 100 guys dealt this off season. And there's been a lot of big trades. Yeah, and that's one of the issues, and I think that's why, you know, lots of White Sox fans have been upset just that, like, they've seen the prospect packages, and, you know, they want to make deals every time San Diego does something, but the one thing that, like, seems like the game's currency right now is teenagers. You you have to be active in Latin America, specifically with shortstops and, and center fielders, and you have to take prep players, so you have them as currency to trade, and the White Sox really haven't done it. Like, they've 
you know, they've started taking prep pitchers more, but they, they haven't taken that prep position player, you know, in the, in the top three rounds in quite a while. And they don't really have a great foothold in the Dominican Republic. So that's the one thing where, you know, if they're going into five to six years of contention here, I do think they need to kind of change their strategy a little bit. Um, you know, just like in the draft and, and on the international market too, just so they have like more, more pieces to trade for stuff that you might need. For sure. I mean, that, one of the things I wanted to accomplish in 2020 was, uh, as far as my own personal looks, was to spend more time in Florida and Arizona watching the extended GCL or AZL, what have you, because that is where some of these guys get traded from. These, these guys who were in their first or second year in pro ball and have a lot of ceiling uh, and a long way to go, uh, they are the guys that get dealt. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, you, you guys are, are intimately familiar with one of those guys getting traded. Uh, I'm not going to say his name on this podcast and bring up bad memories, but those are the kind of guys who teams like to bet on. And that's what a lot of scouting is done. Like there's the, the lack of emphasis on the upper levels these days in, in terms of pro scouting is for a reason. You want to get your best eyes on guys who are less known. I like to explain. I went to, went to explain it to my bosses last year as, you know, if I'm a stockbroker uh, before GameStop madness, uh, and I came to you and I said, "Hey, I have these hot tips on stocks like Sprint and Apple and you know, Ford or whatever," you'd say, "Well, of course those ones." But if I came to you with a true like low money stock that could be a blue chipper down the line and it paid off for you. Well, then you're going to start turning to me more often. It's that's the kind of stuff that teams are starting to look harder at uh, in, in the long term because if you're smart, you can acquire these guys before they become famous, before magazines like we do, you know, pump them up into the next big thing. And if you can get those guys early, well, then you're ahead of the curve. But also, some of the some of these trades you're seeing, where it's a bunch of you know guys who are in the AZL or haven't really played at all, is again because they're not getting the better prospects because they're paying money. Josh, really good stuff. Thanks for doing this. The last thing I had for you, I listened to the, you know, when you guys released the top 10 podcasts like a while back, you and Kyle, and the way that you guys talked about Garrett Crochet on the podcast, I don't know if it was you or Kyle that said, you know, that we've basically seen Garrett Crochet's floor and it's kind of funny and it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, power reliever is his floor. But, you know, it's kind of true. And I, I think we were caught off guard as to like how good he looked. I saw him twice in Schaumburg. And look, he looked really good, like throwing a side, but you just don't know. And then they pulled him up, and I'll never forget that night in Cincinnati when he's, you know, he's pumping a hundred, and I have a million texts. I just, I'm curious, was it similar with you and your colleagues? Not that you guys are following the White Sox extensively, but just, you know, this is kind of like a bonus that we got here in this short season. You know, this guy drafted this year, and he looks this good, and we weren't really expecting it. No, I, I wasn't super surprised, just because the stuff was never a question for Garrett Crochet. At all. It, it was just simply, he hasn't pitched a lot in college because of you know, he was a reliever and there were injuries and all that good stuff. And then the whole shutdown this year. Um, but I remember going, one of the things I do every summer normally is I set my video cameras up at USA Baseball's collegiate national team. And it's usually around the time of the midseason top 30. So I don't stay and watch the game. I just set my traps up and I have one of my interns bring them back to me at the end of the day. So I don't know what's going on or who is anybody. And then I will cut the video up for use for whatever story. And, you know, watching his him pop, every so often you see a guy that's like, oh, who the heck is this? And that was one of the guys like, oh, my goodness, this guy is dastardly. His, you can't tell velocity just on center field video, but you could see his, his breaking stuff was incredible. 
and you could see he was doing pretty well against some decent hitters. So I wasn't super surprised by him. And plus, I talked to some guys. There, there was one team out there that uh, had some guys who hadn't seen much amateur ball during the, during the shutdown, had their pro guys look at amateur video and kind of think what they thought because there was no pro scouting to be done. And some of them came back and said, you know, this guy is really, 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 really good. And he's our favorite among, you know, the guys we've been seeing video of and all that good stuff. So it wasn't super surprising. It would have, it would have been a little surprised to see him, you know, become, you know, go God mode. There, there was a little bit of surprise there, but the stuff being as good as it was, was kind of what he was supposed to be. Did I expect him to make a, uh, a huge impact in the big leagues in 2020? No, just because that never happens. But um, it long way of saying, we've always known this guy's stuff is really, really good. Now it's a matter as if it's going to come in the middle of the game or at the start of the game. And I hope it's at the start of the game because I'd like to see that guy as much as possible. Yeah, we, we hope so too, obviously. Do, are, do you agree with the people then that think that if there was a college season, he's probably not making it to 11? Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he's, I, I remember I were trying to discern whether it was going to be Kelly or Crochet at like four or five in the midseason top 30. And initially I went with the way we ranked them in the BA 500, which I believe was Kelly before Crochet. And we had a lot of arguments about him, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, okay, I'm just going to text some scouting directors that I know. And all of them were like, it's Crochet. Are you crazy? All right, fine. The stuff level is incredible. And we saw it this year. Like that was just, you know, you didn't have a chance against him. I think he threw what, two fastballs below a hundred. Come on. Yeah. How about that? That slider is just a weapon. It's, it's wicked. It's any number of adjectives you want to put on it, but it was a treat. It was appointment viewing. It's, you see this guy coming in, you get a pop-up notification, you immediately flip on MLB TV and you just, you know, you tent your hands, Mr. Burns style. It's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're so excited about Garrett Crochet as a starter. We want to see him develop that change up and then work in fastball slider across five, six, seven innings uh, consistently because he was ticketed to be Tennessee's horse uh, during the 2020 college season. But of course we all know how uh, everything went down. Josh, awesome stuff. You're the man. Appreciate you, you jumping on. Uh, you did make mention of he who must not be named, but the white Sox do have his brother and he's probably going to be better. So we're fine there. And uh, you've got a guy named Tim Anderson too. Who's pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. He's not bad. He's not, yeah. bad. but Josh, thank you. No problem. Thank you guys. That's Josh Norris, senior editor at baseball America. Go ahead and follow Josh at jnorris427. I'm at Rankin906 on Twitter. He's at James Fox. Just search him. You probably already follow him. I forget his Twitter handle. Uh, anyway, that is another episode of the Future Sox podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can check us out at anchor.fm forward slash Future Sox for our full library. Subscribe to the podcast as well. For James Fox and Josh Norris and Bennett James for making his first podcast appearance in his young career. Appreciate all of you for tuning in. Talk to you all next time.